Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 269. And joining us today are Brian Robinson, Greg Carlos, and Jessica Ray. And we're going to jump right into things with a review of the 2022 Consumer Electronics Show that just wrapped up in Las Vegas and really was almost a car show from start to finish. There was a lot of news there, virtually all of it all electric. And Brian, why don't we start with you? A BMW had made a lot of news at CES. Uh, yes, sir. They did uh, seem to be out there in full force. Um, there are two currently uh, in the BMW lineups, two EVs you can buy, one being the i4 sedan or Grand Coupe, as they like to call it, and the iX uh, SUV. Uh, what they had to show there was an M version of the iX, which would be the first time BMW has put the M brand label on any uh, electric vehicle. So that's obviously a big deal. Uh, it cranks up the horsepower from 516 in the iX to 610 horsepower. Does drop the range from 320 plus to about 280. Uh, goes for $105,000. Gets an upgraded air suspension, 3.6 seconds to 60. And uh, they made a big deal about the engines themselves. Um, and that they don't use any rare earth magnets to engage. Uh, they use like uh, focused pulses of electricity instead, uh, which according to them uh, allows them to get a lot more power out of a smaller package. Um, I guess- I assume you meant motors, right? Did you say engines? Uh, what I say? <laughs> I think you uh, said engines. I I want to make sure I'm not missing something. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, definitely electric <laughs> motors. Yeah, yeah, my bad. That'd be awesome, uh, a dual engine. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the i8, but that's another uh, story. <laughs> but, but as far as the iX itself, this is the uh, M60 is the name. And it's physically about the size of an X5, but has the interior space uh, more like the X7, uh, just because of the way everything's laid out. Uh, it does still weigh 5,800 pounds. And it does have a few... M type, like the brake calipers or the blue M ones, uh, special wheels, but it's not, I, I think some people were looking for it to be like really flashy and uh, boy racer ish. And it's not that at all. It's, it's pretty subtle for BMW actually. The, uh, the I uh, X itself, you know, has been a little bit controversial because of the look. Uh, what did you think of it? Uh, it's interesting. Um, it's obviously got BMW's big uh, twin kidney grill face, which is, has like the self-healing matrix on it, which is a whole nother uh, thing to get into. But it looks kind of, if you remember the i3, their first EV, it has that same kind of look in the rear, uh, but obviously uh, much bigger. It looks more like uh, an X5 uh, in that regard. Would you call it attractive, anybody? Uh, uh, not yeah. in my eyes beauty's in the eye of the beholder uh but this beholder does not think it's beautiful i don't think it's <laughs> terrible uh I, it's not an ugly car 
but it's not a good looking car. Uh, but I kind of wanted to comment on the interior a little bit and I'm looking at it through pictures. I have not seen it in person. And you know, the other German manufacturer, major German manufacturer, Mercedes is, is coming out with EVs, obviously uh, EQS namely. And if you look at their interior, I mean, it is just magnificent with how big the screen is that spans essentially the entire dash of the car. There's still a ton of buttons and everything. It looks, uh, you know, whereas everybody seems like like minimalism is like a, a buzzword now. Mm -hmm. I think Mercedes went the other way, but now BMW is sticking with minimalism, which has always kind of been their thing with like their eco cars going back yeah. to the i3, the i8. Um, so you do have like a, a wide spanning uh, two screen setup that goes from the gauges to the center screen. But that's about it. Like, there's not a ton of buttons. The the uh, the steering wheel looks fairly clean. Even the center console, where you'll have iDrive and everything, is I mean, relatively clean looking. So, um, I I think it's uh, while it's not as visually striking as what you get in Mercedes, I think it still kind of has like a good clean look to it. Yeah, you know what, I, what? Go ahead, Brian. They made a point when the iX came out originally of calling it shy tech. Like all the tech is there, but they go to great lengths to hide it to behind hide the it. scenes. Yeah, the uh, like the you, there's no speakers; they're integrated in everything. The seats and the door panels, uh, the they have buttons that don't actually look like buttons, and um, stuff like that, just to keep it in the background. I mean, really, that's that was the trend that that I guess Tesla, for lack of anyone else, uh, made popular. What I was getting at when I was talking about. Uh, the visual, whether or not it's attractive, it seems to me that the people that are buying this level of vehicle over $100,000 not only want to show off the technology, but they want something that's striking to look at that people will notice, not somebody, not something that people will say, ugh, what's that? So I just wonder, especially in BMW's case, if the look of the iX is a mistake or not, but who knows? I think you have a good point there, John, because I think we've said the same thing about uh, the EQS and don't necessarily think that's the most attractive vehicle, but it's quite striking. And when you see it, it looks kind of like nothing else that's on the road. And I also think that the iX is similar in that vein, like it does not look like anything else on the road. Now, you know that it's a BMW, but it's just very unique in that it's so angular and um, just... I haven't seen it in person. I, I can't wait to see it in person because I, I feel like a lot of times I, it car wins me over when I actually see it in person. Um, and I, I think that the, the IX will do that. And I also think it's just sort of interesting because it's one of those things that I can't wait to drive it as well, because um, with the AMG EQS in the same vein of how does BMW take the M, which you know is known for its its high performance, and translate that into an EV? And um, so it's kind of the battle of uh, the the two high performance arms to who can do it better in translating, better. right? And who can preserve uh, the most of that AMG or M feel? I guess this one would technically not go up against an AMG though, tech, right? Because of I mean, the, their naming scheme is so confusing now, but if it were truly a AMG, like a Mercedes AMG top of the line performance competitor, it would be named something like the IXM. Like their, their SUVs that are M's are the X5M. 
this being an IX M60 is more like mm -hmm. a, um, an M235i, the, which is the middle. Like, right, exactly. Almost right, an right, M, right. but not quite. Yeah. yeah. Well, which probably says they've got something else in store. Oh, for sure. But once going back to the styling, John, to your point, mm -hmm. one thing is for sure is that you will have an opinion on it when you see it. I don't know if it'll be a good opinion <laughs> or a bad opinion, but uh, but That's I think it, I think it does portray a futuristic electric look to it uh, for sure. And then just one, my last final piece is that the steering wheel is what you'd expect in a futuristic vehicle. There is like nothing round about it. It's it's not quite a Tesla yoke. Uh, but there's like all kinds of Thank angles. Goodness. It's a flat bottom. There's like it starts round and then it juts out to the side. So it's it's definitely an interesting looking steering wheel. As they say, I'm not sure we need to reinvent the wheel. Hmm. <laughs> Let's go from something of limited volume to something that they're going to sell a heck of a lot of. It was it's no secret GM has made a commitment to be all electric. Um, they took CES very seriously. They had a number, a lot of news there. But let's start with, I think, the worst kept secret, but also their biggest news as far as, well, just market share. They introduced the 2024 Chevrolet Silverado EV. Greg, was it more or less than what we expected? And how do you think it stacks up against, say, Ford and even Rivian? To answer your question, I'd have to say more. I don't see how you could see this truck and look at its spec sheets and say it's less than we expected. Maybe it's not, I mean, as over the top as people want an EV to be, but if you're realistic about what an EV truck in 2022, well, this one will be coming out in 2023 uh, as a 2024 model year. But what we can do in, in this era is, I mean, pretty much maxed out. We're at 400 miles of range, according to GM, which, if true, is actually a pretty big feat for such a big car, I mean, a truck. Um, it's built on the uh, the GMC Hummer EV, which we all saw last Super Bowl, built on the same Altium platform. You'll be hearing a lot of that from Chevy and GM. Um, the only differences, or, well, a few differences, um, mainly there's one less motor, so there's only two motors in the Silverado as opposed to three in the Hummer. Uh, All-wheel drive uh, as, as little as uh, 0 to 60 in 4.5 seconds with the RST model. Uh, but I, what I found interesting is that they are coming to market first with a WT model, which stands for work truck, which means their like Workman edition will be the first all-electric yeah. Silverado to market, which I think is definitely a... Uh, a move that they put a lot of thought into because they want to prove that, hey, this is a work truck. Uh, it's not just for, you know, super rich people who just want to have a big pickup truck toy. I mean, we're going to put this thing to work. And that WT, the work truck edition, is going to come with uh, not quite as much horsepower as the um, RST first edition, but it'll be uh, 510, 615 pound feet of torque, which means 8,000 pounds of towing standard and a 1,200 pound payload. And eventually they will have another like work truck model that'll tow up to like 20,000 pounds, which is, I mean, that's big time towing uh, from yeah, the electric heavy vehicle. Duty area. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, and getting to the look, uh, I don't think I'm making any huge revelations here that the <laughs> the Silverado EV looks a lot like an avalanche. If anybody remembers what an avalanche <laughs> is, um, I don't know why Chevy likes to bury the avalanche so much. And they even now I'm seeing quotes that they're they're claiming they didn't intentionally try to make it look like an avalanche. But I just I got to call BS on that. 
um if i mean the 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 thing that really hits or brings that home is just behind the the rear door they're all crew caps mind you is that triangular like sloping pillar down into the short bed the bed's only yep. uh five foot eleven on the rst model so it's a short bed the front end is short again because they're not worried about throwing big engines in there uh it's a it's a snub nose look and then uh, like i said the short bed but like the avalanche there's what they call a midgate and it's a multi-flex midgate you know they're throwing all kinds of marketing jargon at you uh, but what that means essentially is that you can uh, access from the bed into the cabin and extend the bed length so you go from a five foot 11 inch bed to with the midgate down a nine foot bed and then if you go a step further and get the multi-flex tailgate in the back you can get up to 11 feet of total storage for you know building materials or whatever you want to put back there um, so there is uh a high amount of versatility with this thing, like the like like the avalanche. I don't really know why they don't admit that this is like an avalanche. It's an EV avalanche. I mean, all you gotta do is take one look at it. I like the avalanche, and I think a lot yeah. of people did, and you still see a lot of them on the road. So I just don't really get that. Um, when it comes to pricing, <clears throat> we're talking about uh, under forty thousand before destination for that work truck model. So technically, they're saying it's under forty thousand, but really, it's not. Uh, but it is around 40,000. And then the RST first edition, which will become, which comes fully loaded a little bit after uh, in 2023, uh, will be over $100,000, which <laughs> is a lot of money. Um, but eventually they say, Chevy says at least, that they will have <laughs> models in the 50, 60, 70, 80,000, all the way up range. So it seems like they're trying to hit a lot of different uh, sub markets within the. Uh, uh, Silverado EV market. Other comments about it? Yeah, I mean, um, well, also we should probably mention that it has uh, 400 miles of range to 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 start, yeah, start with. Did you mention that, Greg? I think I, I think I did. It was way back when I started my whole soliloquy. Oh, so. sorry, my <laughs> bad. Remember. But I want to feature that. Yeah, that's well, a that's a lot, especially if they're talking a a work truck compared to the its competition, which is the F-150, which currently does not have the option to go 400 miles yet on their powertrain. But I say that as this is a truck that does not yet exist in production. Um, and who knows by 2024, the F-150 sure, uh, Lightning surely could uh, have uh, 400 miles of range by then. Back to your original question to start the segment, John, you asked if it's more or less. Um, it's very clear they saw what the lightning was and said let's do more and so 400 miles of range more than the lightning they have a uh, onboard charger like the lightning which you could power your house in a storm or you could even charge another ev if you wanted to but that charger is a 10.2 kilowatt charger as opposed to uh, the lightnings which is like nine and some change so yeah. again just a little bit more than the ford lightning Go, good old truck one up some chip brian you've been quiet through all this yeah i don't mind the looks i appreciate the avalanche uh, aspects of it but it the proportions aren't quite right because greg mentioned the front they really shrunk the front it just uh, that that area to me looks uh, a little more egregious than than the back uh, half of it um, but i like that the work truck um, compared to the 
regular GM work trucks. It doesn't necessarily look like a work truck. It's still called that, but it doesn't look super stripped down like uh, like the current ones. Yeah. I also think cool. the wheels are a bit much. They're like 24 inches on the RST. And yeah. if you look at it from the profile with that short nose and the relatively long bed, when you consider how short the nose is, I mean, it, it just looks like a little bit too much like a Hot Wheels truck to me. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. But I it doesn't good, ruin it. It doesn't ruin the look for me. I think... Um, uh, it's such a weird it's going to be so weird when it comes out and there's going to be just these two models that are like on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum but i think gm probably realized that they had to have something that was cheaper uh significantly cheaper than the uh, other uh ev pickup that they have which is the hummer so they can't have two they can't launch two one hundred thousand no. dollar uh pickups because that's that's that just looks so awful, especially because they're coming in 20, you know, still in we're still probably close to two years away from seeing from seeing them. So I think it was really smart of them to prioritize the the uh, base model of the, the Silverado, because um, that will be used in uh, a lot of their fleet sales, which is really important to GM. Yeah, that makes they they characterize their trucks as for the working man or woman and um, so I think you're right they've they've made a good choice there uh, Jessica let's stay with you because um, even though everybody knew about the Silverado other than all the details GM came to CES with news that was unexpected why don't you take us through that yeah so I think the biggest the bigger news um <laughs> in this Silverado EV reveal was the fact that GM says they are launching an Equinox EV and a Blazer EV in 2023. Um, so if you know the Equinox, um, it's a compact crossover. It's a five-seater, not exactly the most attractive five-seater on the road, but that doesn't exactly matter because it is the third best-selling compact crossover right behind the uh, RAV4 and the CRV. Um, it is a pretty big fleet vehicle. So, uh, it's a pretty big vehicle in, in general for GM. And so they announced that not only is the Equinox EV coming in 2023, but it will start around $30,000. Now keep in mind, this is, um, not going to be built on the same platform as the, the gas powered Equinox, um, because this will be on GM's new Ultium battery platform, same as uh, the Cadillac Lyric, uh, but not the exact same, but you know, in the same vein. And um, so this will be the most affordable EV on this brand new platform that GM is launching. So it's a very, very big deal. Um, and they gave us pictures. We can see what the Equinox EV is going to look like and it looks amazing it looks phenomenal it looks exactly like what the bolt euv should have looked like huh. um it it's it's following the styling very similar in the front with with um with the silverado ev you can clearly see where they're taking styling cues from um in, in, with with chevrolet's future um, but just overall, just its silhouette is just is so attractive because if you've seen an Equinox in person, and like I mentioned before, it's not the most attractive looking uh, crossover on the market. 
Um, and we even had somebody um, was like, are they going to redesign the the Equinox to follow these styling cues uh, that we've seen on EV? And probably not <clears throat> because they're completely different platforms. Um, but it certainly would prove to be a much better looking vehicle. But it, I mean, like I said, it's it, this is a much bigger deal because this is a vehicle that people know of. And I think it's a slam dunk for dealerships. They'll, uh, even though, like I mentioned, they're not, it's not built on the same platform as the Equinox. And they're just calling it an Equinox EV because they're related in the branding aspect of it. But it's just that naming convention that people are just going to know. And dealerships are not going to have to necessarily explain the relationship between the two cars. It'll click easier in people's brains. You know, it's like one of those things I just think about Toyota and when it comes to I, the BZ4X, you know, that's a RAV4 that's an all electric, and but trying to have to explain that to the consumer is going to be difficult. Yeah. So um, I think it's a slam dunk. I can't wait to see it in person because if you can get this, if you can get anywhere close to 300 miles uh, or even over 300 miles of range. Um, and you can get out the door with one of these for like $35,000. We're going to see a lot of them. You got one more to talk about. Oh, the blazer EV. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, so, uh, it's sort of, all we got was a little teaser that it's coming in 2023. Um, we don't know really much about it, but, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a, another big deal also built on the Ultium platform. Um, and likely I, will likely will be styled even more aggressively than the Equinox. Probably. I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily that the current Blazer is unattractive. And I think I would say that the current Blazer is probably more attractive than the Equinox and is pretty sleek on its own. So oh, I agree. I, they're on the right track with that. And yep. um, uh, certainly styling for an EV version is going to be even more so. And of course, you're just going to you're probably going to have a lot more space in the EV versions of either of these, you know, with a frunk um, and with just being able to uh, use more room interior uh, cabin wise. Anybody else got a comment? Yeah, I feel like, <clears throat> well, I guess I'm curious what this, when the Equinox is finally in dealerships, what it will do to the Bolt EUV because looking at them back to back and I'm just like, who, who in their right mind would take the Bolt <laughs> EUV? when they see this Equinox right next to it. It's like, if you we have- steals. It's Yeah, I mean, it's like, <laughs> all right, so the Bolt EUV is what your science teacher in high school drives around, but the, uh, <laughs> the Equinox is what your cool, like English teacher or something drives around, you know, the art teacher. Speaking of, my art teacher actually drove a Mini Cooper. She was pretty awesome. <laughs> I don't know, that was just something that popped in my head. I can't even remember her name, but I knew she, I know she drove a, a Mini Cooper. <laughs> It's a, a true car person. Brian. Yeah, the, the pricing is obviously the big deal. If they can sell it for 30000 that's less than the EUV is right now. The EUV obviously was uh, a placeholder, you know, to get them to that next level with the Altium platform. So, you know, I wouldn't beat on it so much. It certainly has served a purpose. Uh, but they didn't get a whole lot of details, so not really much to talk about. There was one more vehicle uh, that I took big note of at CES uh, from uh, the Chrysler folks, uh, Stellantis, and, and we'll get to that at the end of our podcast. But why don't we move now 
on to a lightning round where we all basically get to chime in for 30 seconds or however long we want. And this also is a uh, surrounds a CES story. So let's see, BMW, they, involve, they unveiled what's called the IX flow at CES, where you get to at least down the road, change the exterior color of your car with the touch of a button. So what do you guys think of this new tech? Is it smart? Where could it lead? What about being able to have a car that's a true chameleon? I mean, that's pretty awesome on the surface. I think if you just take it for what it is right now and be like, wow, it's, that's pretty cool. I, we see it in, uh, at least I've only seen it in video. So I always like, there's, I know it actually happened in person, but there's always a part of me that's skeptical. And it was like, nope, they're, they're tricking me. That's not exactly what's happening. Uh, but by all accounts, it is actually happening. People are changing the color of this car. Uh, but my cynical side says eventually uh, BMW will make money off of it. Uh, more money, I should say, than just the uh, original upcharge of, of buying it. Then they'll release new colors that you have to pay for or subscribe to. Or, you know, I mean, God, we see what happened with Toyota when they tried to, or they they claimed it was a mistake. And I'm getting off topic here. But uh, when they made the remote start a subscription-based service, which is just yep. absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And I think their stance right now is like, oh, well, it was never intended to be that way. Uh, which I find hard to believe. Anyway, that's what I could see happening with this technology. Uh, yeah, I love it. I mean, I'm always looking for ways to uh, grab attention and uh, one up my neighbors. So yeah, if I could change my color of my car every day, uh, it's like the ultimate thing for me. I. It's interesting because I've I've heard that the technology is the same technology that you uh, get in e-readers. Because uh, it changes the color from it's not it's not a, a uh, an actual defined hue. It's just either white or like gray. It's very gray scaled. Um, but no, I mean it's certainly it's certainly interesting. Uh, I I have to say though that um, the regulators may not enjoy it. Uh, I can imagine that maybe once this is popularized, that there will be rules against it. In other words, if somebody is, uh, say, the uh, police are trying to pursue a vehicle, uh, they won't be able to say, hey, it's a um, blue BMW, not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, they're so picky about even just license plates. They're so picky about so many things on cars. Changing your color. I don't know. Well, well, then we're setting ourselves up for the ability to then hack it and then police ah. can or law enforcement once they're chasing in this in this theoretical car chase we're talking about, <laughs> uh, they would be able to send out a signal and it would change the color of the car to flash bright red. Be like, here I am. Come arrest me. <laughs> oh, oh, that's an extension I hadn't thought about. Also, you know the insurance what? companies, insurance companies are going to have a fit. Can you imagine what it's going to cost to repair? Oh, you know what? That's so true, Greg. You have such a great point because they, they do yeah. that with um those like e-license plates now. If you've yeah. seen those, mm -hmm. it's it's in that same vein. So yeah, no, we'll see what happens. The technology certainly <laughs> needs to move forward, but we've all been beaten down by the man because this is where we were, we started by talking about a cool piece of technology. And now we're like, well, the insurance company and then this and then that. I know. I'm sorry. I'm the realist. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of our job, unfortunately, is bring things back down to earth. Hmm. 
Speaking of which, uh, Bruce Lentz has sent us a question through Facebook. You know, let's take a stab at it. When EV, electric vehicle range is computed, is it done with city driving, mixed highway? What is it? And if it's highway driving, at what speeds? He says he knows that many states in the east have lower speed limits than out in Colorado and western states where, of course, the range might be affected more by speed. So how does the EPA come up with EV range? So this was such a cool question. I was so glad somebody asked it because it made me do some research into how exactly uh, the EPA tests EV range specifically. It's a little bit different than their normal testing. Not, not completely, totally different, but a little bit. And so essentially what they consider the range um, uh, is they will uh, leave, they'll, they'll fully charge a vehicle, they'll leave it overnight and then they do, and then they do their testing. And so range is considered a combination of the city and the high and highway driving. And that is, uh, 55% city and 45% highway. And so, um, they wouldn't worry too much about about the speed limits on the roads in Michigan in which in where they do their testing because all of their testing is done within a laboratory uh, on simulated roads. And, um, but they do go up to speeds as fast as 80 miles an hour. And like I said, this is such a great question because as we know, the more highway driving you do uh, in an EV, it's 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 different than when you're driving an internal combustion engine. You're not getting better fuel economy; you're getting worse. Um, and so that is uh, that's kind of how they test it. They charge it up, they do their testing, and it's a combination of both. Which is also why if you do like seventy five percent city driving and do twenty five percent uh, highway driving in an EV, you can beat the EPA estimated range. They also put in a, a fudge factor, don't they? I think they multiply the final results by, I think it's 0.7. Mm -hmm. So it'll get more realistic because the dyno numbers are way up there. Mm -hmm. Yep. Anybody else have anything to add to this, to Bruce's question? I would say, uh, uh, especially with the European cars, the um, when they're brand new, they like to, the manufacturers like to come out and say what their car will get on the European cycle, which is usually more generous. Um, so if you are in America and, and you're curious, uh, take what you see from Europe with a grain of salt, because they're generally a little bit, they're rated a little bit more favorably over there. And the EPA is almost always, or probably a hundred percent, um, uh, more strict with it. And the, the, the mileage will be less, but then you have to take that with a grain of salt because also I feel like we've beaten the the estimates sometimes just by you oh, know, yeah. being a little bit more careful, honestly. Because almost yeah. ac across the board, you'll get into basically any EV and I guarantee you at a full charge, it'll say more than what the EPA says it has a max range of. Yeah, you experienced that uh, in the Ticon, right, Greg? Oh, yeah. I mean, they and the the EPA really smashed the Ticon. Porsche was not happy with their, their rating at all. Um, but we got into it and I found that we beat the EP or at least I beat the EPA estimate uh, quite easily. And that was with a good amount of highway driving. And there's other yep. factors too. Oh, sorry, Brian. 
No, it's not how fast you go. It's how you go fast. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of the things where you notice experienced Tesla drivers on the highway usually are doing 70 and less because right. they know yep. that the higher, higher speeds, you know, suck up the battery. Yeah. And other fat other factors too. Uh, I mean, if you got the air conditioning going, the heat going, um, you know, uh, they're not going to drain it in so far where, uh, it, well, like, for example, I think people were worried about when all everyone was stuck on I-95 and if you had an electric vehicle and you were running it and what, what would you do if you were stuck? Uh, not so much an issue there, but um, if you are actively driving and using it at the same time, yes, it can get you less range. Interesting concept, interesting story, Bruce, interesting question. I hope that answers it. And before we wrap things up, we've got a couple other things we want to talk about. I mentioned earlier that there is a uh, was another interesting concept vehicle that was shown at CES by um, the Chrysler brand, the Stellantis folks. And it was the Chrysler Airflow. And it's interesting because Chrysler used it to make an announcement that the brand is going to go to be a full EV brand within the, um, the old Chrysler Group uh, umbrella. Uh, they kind of got everybody a little out of joint when they said this beautiful card that they showed is not what they're going to actually produce. So what did you make of the announcement? Is there less there than meets the eye or what? I think you just hit it on the head there, John. It was like, all right, great. Here, the Chrysler brand is back. That's exciting. This is a great looking car uh, or SUV, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then they're like, well, it won't look like this. Right. Like, okay. Uh, Too bad. Well, then why'd you make it look so good? <laughs> also, John, if I'm not, if I'm not mistake, mistaken, it, it shares the name with like a 30s car Chrysler. Wasn't it an Airflow? But it looks, the I mean, air, there's like the, nothing that would pay homage to it, which is also the weird. airflow. Um, the the original uh, airflow was the most aerodynamic car of its day. It was very swoopy front to back. And they made it, I, I believe they made it in both a Dodge and a, a DeSoto models. But it was really the first use of wind tunnel to design a car. And I have to say, it was actually a big failure. People were not ready for it. They still liked uh, the old, you know, squared off shapes of the uh, Model A's and, and so forth. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, it's an interesting revival of a name that virtually no one younger than myself probably remembers. Mm -hmm. well, I, I, don't people... re I should say, I don't remember it firsthand. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I think people are definitely familiar with the name and it, I guess it's appropriate in that it's basically just a lot of hot air going on about <laughs> what they may or may not do and what it may or may not look like. That's why he's the writer. Well, so when Stellantis took over, they, um, they made it clear that every brand within their big umbrella now uh, was going to have to show that it had some plan for the future and had to be worth something or they were going to discontinue it. And I'm sure the folks at Chrysler said, you know, with only the 300 and the minivan left, uh, we're in danger. So they've done something to stake out their territory for the future. So good for them. I hope it works. I'd hate to see that name go away. I think it's a cool name. I think that's a great name for an electric car. 
Yeah. It's definitely a bummer. They're not going to make it <laughs> so that it looks like that. But I think also it's important that, you know, they've, they've stated that they're going to be an all electric brand, which yeah. means that we are going to be getting an all electric Pacifica soon. And that should probably do very well if they can put the range in it. It shouldn't. I think that's the first uh, like confirmation that we've gotten that a, a minivan's going EV. I don't think anybody yeah. else has said anything like that. I mean, they're the only ones. Well, actually, I can't say that. They are not the only ones. They were. They're the only ones that have a plug-in hybrid. Um, and the mo- the other more sort of fuel efficient one is uh, the Toyota Sienna, where they've moved right. to a pure hybrid. But that. Uh, Toyota, I can't imagine Toyota has has any immediate plans to go all electric with that. Are we that sure is- we want a fully electric uh, minivan? I mean, I don't know about other you, people, Greg? but I feel like, well, I mean, I like minivans, but I, also kids are loud. Uh, so any kind of noise that can come in, <laughs> engine or exhaust, whatever it is, I mean, it's very much welcome when your kids are screaming at you because you have a, an honest mm-hmm. to God excuse why you can't hear them now i mean it's like nothing there you, you just have to talk to the, your kids <laughs> i know we didn't hey, have the sienna uh, in when you had when uh when you had your second so maybe we have to get one of those in again i, I can't can, wait till can our carnival out. shows up man i'm i don't think i'm gonna give that to anybody else on staff I'm just <laughs> you know, throw my car seats in it and you guys are just gonna have to deal with it <laughs> you know the uh the one thing about the uh an ev minivan uh, it may uh they may not be able to do their fold into the floor seats. That would be that a huge a deal. Point. It's just, they don't, yeah. you're right. Cause they can't do it on the, uh, plug, the hybrid Pacifica. Yeah. It's a good point. Say, look, before we move into a, and see if anyone's got a rant and rave just about uh, an hour or so before we uh, started recording this podcast, they announced the 2022 North American car of the year awards. Uh, 60 independent journalists, of which uh, I'm one of them, so I have a, a soft place in my heart for Nactoy, but they've announced uh, their awards for Car, Truck, and Utility of the Year, Car of the Year, Honda Civic, for a lot of obvious reasons, uh, good value, great-looking vehicle, fun to drive. Their Truck of the Year is the Ford Maverick, the new compact, and their utility of the year is the Ford Bronco. Not the Bronco Sport that we gave an award to our Driver's Choice Award last year, but the Bronco. Uh, any comments on any three, on any or all of those? Good choices? Big, big year for Ford with the yeah. and utility. Uh, mm-hmm. It's hard to argue with Honda Civic, though. I mean, that uh, nothing here really shocks me. I'll say that. I think it's all, yeah. I don't want to say conservative. I just, I just think it was a little bit predictable. Yeah, the Civic in a year where there are a few actual cars to come out. Uh, Civic was certainly uh, the best of the crop. Maverick as well. New compact truck. Um, certainly looks more truck-like than the Santa Cruz. Um, and I think that was probably a part of it. The hybrid powertrain, definitely a big part of it. And $20,000 to start. Uh, that's insane. Uh, and the Bronco, it's cool. I think it's certainly got a lot of hype. I'm not sure uh, it was the best utility of the year. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think um, the Maverick might get a little bit of grief because there's so many people that just say that's not a truck. It's not a truck. It's not a real truck, but it does truck like things. So sure it does. And they said that about the Honda Ridgeline too. Mm-hmm. And it's more truck like than the Lincoln Navigator, which won a couple of years ago. <laughs> Good <laughs> memory on it. 
Good memory. Good memory. Hey, has anybody got a rant or rave before we uh, close out? Anything that over the holidays, you know, particularly um, struck you good or bad? What happened in Northern Virginia on 95, man? Like I, I, I know it was kind of a quick moving snowstorm for those of you who don't know on the East coast, we got hit with this real quick snowstorm right on the uh, Northern Virginia DC line. Uh, which we're very close to. We were on the good side of that, but in DC and uh, Northern Virginia stuck on 95 for like two days because they couldn't mm -hmm. move the snow or there was all kinds of weirdness. I uh, just kind of shocking that that can happen in 2022 in and in an area that let's face it. I mean, doesn't get a ton of snow, but does get snow on a fairly regular basis historically. I don't know. I would say that that snow, it, the snow came really quick because I think where I grew up actually is um, much, much more south of, um, of, of where we're located here at Motor Week. And that got hit with so much snow, more snow that they had seen in many, many years. So I think it just, it just came on so quickly. And it was weird because they were predicting a lot of snow, but I guess it just was more than what was anticipated. And I think it's just a bunch of tractor trailers got stuck. And yeah. then once big things get stuck, then everybody else unfortunately gets stuck. You know, it does bring back the idea of maybe we've told people for years, you don't have to worry about having emergency kits in your car anymore because you've got a cell phone. Well, maybe that, maybe that wasn't very good advice because those, a lot of those people were, well, without food, water, or anything for over a day. Yeah. Or you want a Silverado EV to be able to charge other EVs and cell phones and anything else people need charged make yourself quite a bit of money uh on other people's uh, a little inability. entrepreneurship there <laughs> i don't think it's the most savory way to make money but yeah, i mean you could do it mm -hmm. all right i want to thank our two-wheeling reporter brian robinson our over-the-edge reporter greg carlos and our digital producer jessica ray who also produced this podcast thank you all for joining us today and thanks everybody out there for joining us for podcast number 269 I want to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, and our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. Anyone out there that wants more Motor Week, hop on over to our website at motorweek.org. If you want to find out where we're seen on public TV stations around the country, hit the tab on the right at the top about the show. Put in your state or zip code or city, and you'll get up-to-date listing information. Also, you can find us every week on our cable partner, MAV-TV. Consult MavTV.com for the listings where you can stream us lots of different places, including on uh, PBS.org slash MotorWeek with complete episodes. And you can watch virtually everything we've done for, gosh, what, the last 10 years right up to date on yeah. our YouTube.com slash MotorWeek channel, which we're pleased to say gets millions of hits every month. So lots of folks out there want to know about us. If you've got a screen, you can find Motor Week. Until next time, I'm John Davis, and thanks for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.